Given me her cold. <laughs> so we want to thank and praise God for two year old girls. So we're going to speak this morning about the heart of the cross, the heart of it all, the cross. This is, um, in some ways, one of the easiest uh, and yet one of the most profound messages that I've heard. And I'm not saying that it will be profound for you when you've heard it from me. Thank you. So, the message from 1 Corinthians uh, is one of a church that's going through the throes of foundation. And Paul is writing to the church to steady its nerve. Now, one of the things that I've done in preparation for this sermon is uh, to run it past my editor. My editor happens to be married to me. And uh, one of the things that, uh, that uh, I spoke about was doing a verbal warm-up with everybody. And I'm going to ask for your assistance in this verbal warm-up. Mrs. D, that is how she shall be known, Mrs. D said they'll never do it. And she especially said it about the 915 service. And I've got to tell you that the 915 service were fantastic. Fantastic. So what I'm hoping and praying for is that you will be as good as the 915 service. So, the verbal warm-up. And I do assure you that uh, it does have some relevance for later on in the, uh, in the talk. So, this is the verbal warm-up. Those with children or grandchildren may well know it. I need you to help me with saying the words of going on a bear hunt. Who can do it? Who knows it? Right, fantastic. Let's stand up. Come on. Come on. Let, this is a warm-up. We'll shake ourselves off and we're ready. A bit of action. We're not going to fall asleep in this sermon. So, we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Oh, grass, long wavy grass, we can't go over it, 
We can't go under it. Oh, oh, we've got to go through it. Fantastic. Swishy, swashy, swishy, swashy. Swishy, swashy. You are brilliant. <laughs> Sit yourselves down. Sit yourselves down. That, that, was, that was very nearly interpretive dance. That was fantastic. Yeah. The only trouble is I'm not having, uh, I'm not having Ian Buckner doing interpretive dance in the front of the stage. So, now that we're warmed up, there is contained within this sermon a deliberate error a deliberate error and it's for you sharp-eyed people to find this deliberate error in fact as phil pointed out to me uh, one minute before the, before the uh, service there are two deliberate errors <laughs> one of which is not quite so deliberate so the first deliberate error, I'm going to give you permission for the first person to spot it, to come out and speak to me, and they shall receive from on high a prize. A prize. Yes, and uh, it was John Murray in the 915 service who, uh, who won. And she was very uh, gracious and she shared her prize with everybody in the service. I'm not saying that you have to do that. <laughs> so, let's go and have a, a little look at this passage again. The word of the cross, you see, is madness to people who are being destroyed. But to us... Those who are being saved, it is God's power. This is what the Bible says. After all, I will, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the shrewdness of the clever I'll abolish. Where is the wise person? Where is the educated person? Where is the debater of this present age? Don't you see that God has turned the world's wisdom into folly? This is how it happened in God's wisdom. The world didn't know God through wisdom, so it gave God pleasure through the folly of our proclamation to save those who believe. Jews look for signs, you see, and Greeks surf, look for wisdom, search for wisdom. But we announce the crucified Messiah, a scandal to Jews and folly to Greeks. But to those who are called Jews and Greeks alike, the Messiah is God's power and God's wisdom. God's folly is wiser than humans, you see, and God's weakness is stronger than humans. I'm a little bit disappointed because you haven't spotted it yet. Ah, uh, nope. Bernard? That's not it. 
do, do you need a clue? Whoa, who was that? Come yourself, come up here, come up here. The, the one is missing is 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. See? Ah, no, not, not deep. It's been missing a while as well. It's been missing since you first put it Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, that is the deliberate deliberate error so and I've got to tell you that now comes up the second less deliberate error and it'll be interesting if you can spot what it is can you spot it it's not Corinth it's Athens <laughs> I've got Google, Google, Google sent me wrong. So I need you to go back to Mr. Google and tell him, yeah, tell him that the search engine didn't work. So, yeah. So Corinth, pretend that that is Corinth. Suspend disbelief. That, friends, is Corinth for all intents and purposes. You see where the foolish and wise comes in. And I'm, yeah, I'll leave you to decide at the end of the sermon what, who, whether I'm the foolish or whether I'm the wise. So Corinth is a lively and important seaport. In Greece, it's a melting pot. It was a church founded by Paul and its members were of, uh, of both... Jewish and Gentile upbringing. And they were struggling and finding ways to live together. It's a sinful city. Port cities have all sorts of distractions. Some of which are better than others. Lisa pointed out about the very fit temple prostitutes as opposed to the unpleasant temple prostitutes, I suppose. But she pointed out the, uh, that there was temple prostitutes uh, running up and down from the temple on the hill into the town city, uh, into the town centre. She pointed out that there were uh, other distractions, there were male prostitutes, there was all sorts of things going on. And she spoke about the internal distractions uh, of a divided church. There were Greeks and Jews. And after founding the church at Corinth, Paul went off on his, uh, continued on his journeys. And some 18 months later, was right, had cause to write back to the, uh, to the church at Corinth after being told of some divisions and disputes within within the church and he, and he wrote back to them to give them advice and support sometimes people look at, uh, at Paul's letters uh, and they can appear a little bit bossy a little bit uh, authoritative but in actual fact he speaks out of love and he speaks out of a, a desire that they come back to the basics 
So Lisa spoke to us about this culture of permissiveness. She spoke to us about uh, intellectualism and sensualism. And Paul reminds the Corinthian church that God has he's enriched the church. He's given it spiritual gifts. And he wants them to keep firm as they await for the return of Jesus. Paul reminds them that at the heart of it all is the, cro is the cross and the good news of Christ's return. The heart of it all is the cross. And the same stands for us as well as the Corinthian church. But this plan of using the cross, this plan that man would be reconciled to God by the sacrifice of Jesus, by, uh, was just complete foolishness. Complete foolishness. The, Greek, the Jews and the Greeks just didn't understand it. And I'd like to just take you and put you, give you a little bit of context about why the G Greeks and Jews didn't understand. I'm going to bang myself on that. So I'll move it. Oh, come on, pages. So, for the Jews, the Jews are living as an oppressed nation. The Romans had taken, uh, taken control of Judea in uh, 63 BC. Jews saw the Romans as an oppressing foreign culture which treated them cruelly. And they hoped that God would send them a Messiah, a specially chosen king who would free them from the Romans. And as often happens with uh, systems of oppression, people grow up uh, and people might call them terrorists. People might call them all sorts of things, but one, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. So we had a group of people called the Zealots. They were a group of Jews who were actively resisted the Romans. Now, anybody know this group of individuals? They are the people's front of Judea from the life of Brian. What have the Romans ever done for us? Now, we had the fact that the crucified Christ was not their image of the Messiah. This saving king that the Jews wanted, they, they just could not understand how Jesus, dying on a cross, would be their saving king. They wanted somebody to kick the Romans forcibly out of uh, Judea. The, Jew, the, 
the Jews wanted a Messiah and they wanted signs and wonders. We've just had uh, a sermon series on John. And in John, we've got plenty of signs and wonders. But the elite of the Jewish people rejected those signs and wonders. But still, they, the Jews, were confronted by the cross. They were confronted by the crucified Christ. For the Jews, the crucified Christ was a national shame. For the Jews, the crucified Christ was a national shame and a humiliation. And for the Jews, the crucified Christ was a scandal. The Jews demanded signs, but the Greeks looked for wisdom. They looked for sophistication. They looked for clever, cleverness. They put their, their uh, trust in the orators. Plato and others and almost made a, a national sport of oratory. And it was their wisdom. We learned last week about Apollos. Who, if you look at Acts 18 and 19, uh, was a wonderful orator, a wonderful speaker. And he spoke accurately of Jesus defeating the Jewish debaters in the synagogues. And he, he himself ended up with a following, quite a following of himself. Now, I'm going to make a confession here. This is error number three. Pointed out by Phil earlier on, which has now been fixed. My spelling of Apollos. So, again, my cleverness has been brought to earth. But for the Jews and for the Greeks... Together, God's plan was crazy, absolutely crazy. But in this picture, you see the cross, or the crosses, but there is an empty tomb. For the Jews and the Greeks... The cross was crazy and it was a stumbling block. But there is an empty tomb. For the Greeks, it was foolishness. But there is an empty tomb. The cross was not the end of it all. Christ died and rose again. We hear in Scripture of the plan, and this is it. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son, 
And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world to right again. I know that for some of us, the mere fact of Christ's sacrifice on a cross is a great stumbling block for us. Why would anybody do that for me? I am not worthy of somebody sacrificing their life for me. But it is that stumbling block that we have to go through. The plan in John 3.16, and this is where we link back into the verbal warm-up. This picture is, is done for us by uh, Lauren Smith, who's our artist in resident par excellence. So the plan brought into, the fo into focus by the cross, a symbol of torture, of defeat and death, just as for the Greeks and Jews of their time, it is for us today a thing that we must deal with. We must deal with the cross. Like those travellers on the bear hunt, we can't go over it, we can't go round it or under it, we must deal with it and go through it. go back to the beginning of the passage. The message that points to the Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works, and most powerfully, as it turns out. So we, today in modern Skipton, are still confronted by the cross. Whether we have intellectual pretensions or we create God in our own image, we are still confronted by making a decision about the cross. Paul's purpose in writing to the Corinthian church was to identify the problems in the church, to offer solutions and to teach the believers how to live for Christ in a corrupt society. In this opening chapter, he forcefully reminds them about the centrality of the message of the cross. And he knew that for both Jews and Greeks, being confronted by the cross created a problem. How could this foolish plan succeed? God's folly is wiser than humans. God's weakness is stronger than humans. These dilemmas are all too relevant for us today. Isn't it easy for us to create a God in our own image, just like the Jews? And don't we make idols out of what we want God to be for us? Like the Greeks too, 
we all too often are too sophisticated, too clever to believe in the God that's presented to us in Scripture. The cross is at the heart of it all. It's about the good news of Christ. God made flesh dying on a rubbish heap in the back of beyond as a sacrifice for us, for each one of us. It's about a foolish message to the rulers, orators and philosophers of our time. It's about God overthrowing a kingdom by means of weakness and putting in, his, in, in place his kingdom. And it's about an invitation for each one of us to take his or her own place in that kingdom. It's about being confronted by the cross where Jesus paid the price for us and defeated death. And there's no cost to us for this gift. It's the pure grace of God. The price has been paid. And our response, I would suggest, is to, sh is to simply believe. Let me finish with a short story. One of the foremost Christian thinkers and theologians, Karl Barth, is under, understood to have been questioned by a student after a lecture. The student asked Barth if he could summar, summarize his life's work as a theologian. Summarize it in one sentence. Barth apparently thought for a little time and said to the eager student, Yes, I can. In the words of a song I heard at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's not more complicated than that. The Bible tells each one of us that we are loved by God and that Christ died for us. Our response is to simply believe. And I offer that invitation to you here and now. And I don't care if you're new to church or have been coming for a long time. This may be the first time that you've actually been confronted by making a decision about the cross, which is God's plan for our salvation. If you take, want to take some time to think about it, study these passages over the coming weeks, but think about the centrality of the cross for your lives. And I would pray that you might accept it into your heart by faith and thereby receive salvation. Amen.